For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to continue to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness firmly in place. Stand with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up that shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation. And now, for the second week, take up the sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit? It is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, Father, just let this Word come alive. Lord, I pray that this Word would be the Word of God. But that only happens by Your grace and by Your Spirit. So, Lord God, just pour out Your Spirit now and energize these words. I pray for spiritual protection for our ears and for our hearts, that what is said would be understood correctly, that what is said would be said correctly. And more than anything, Lord, I pray, God, that we could go out of here really being confident that we have a sword and that the sword is something that we can use, we need to use. Make us people of your word. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. If there's one question that I get asked a lot um, by people... It's a question of how can I change? It's sometimes worded in, a, in, in different ways, but the question comes out to be, how, how does a person change? Because if you're like me, and most of us are quite a bit alike in this, on this score, we find change to be very difficult. And the older you get, the harder change comes. I've always been this way. I've always thought this way. I've always felt this way. This is how I've always seen the world. This is what I've always believed about myself. And how am I to change that? How can I change that? The question can take the form of a minor sort of a question like, gee, I wish I could be more patient with my son. Gee, I wish I could care more about the things of God. Or I, I wish I could be more loving towards my wife. Or I wish I you know, would be more willing to help out around the house. Or I wish I didn't have these negative attitudes. I wish I didn't gossip so much. Why do I always see the negative in people? Actually, that's a pretty major one. Sometimes, though, the question becomes much more major than that, something like, how, how can I change out of this sexual addiction that I've been a part of for so long? Or how can I get out of this alcoholism that I've been a part of for so long? How do I get out of the sin trap in my mind and the sin trap in my heart and the sinful habits of my life? How do I just quit being a cold fish when it comes to the things of God? How do I love more? How do I care more? How do I stop being a person for whom the dollar is so important? And you see, most of us have tried, if you've been a Christian for very long, you've tried the gig of just trying hard not to be that way. I will decree that I'm going to make myself a person who's less greedy. I'm going to be a person who's less selfish. I'm going to be a more considerate person. I'm going to be a person who doesn't lust so much. And you make that decree maybe on New Year's or some other time, but as you know... Those resolutions are usually short-lived. Because change, you see, the change of a behavior and even the change of an attitude is not the engine that drives the train of your life. It is really the caboose. 
Changing how you behave is really the last thing that changes about us. What we need to see here this morning is that change has got to start on the inside. It's got to be an internal thing. There's no way that your behavior, there's no way that your attitudes, there's no way that those things are going to change in your life until you change the fundamental way that you look at yourself, until you change the fundamental way that you look at God, the fundamental way that you look at the world. You've got to change the inside, and the outside changes automatically. But if you don't change that inside, you can try till your dying day to change the outside, and it's never going to happen. It doesn't work that way. I believe in the core of my being, and I don't mean to be simplistic here, but I believe that if you know what is true, and if you know what is false, that change and healing is possible. I believe that if you know what is true and what is deception and are willing to commit yourself to live according to that truth regardless of how you may feel, if you know what is true and what is false about you and what is true and what is false about God and what is true and what is false about the world, regardless of how you feel, then healing and change and transformation is possible. I don't care how far gone you think you are. All change, all healing, all transformation is a result, ultimately, of knowing what is true and coming against what is false. If you know what is true and know what is false and are willing to submit to what is true and are willing to yield to what is true and are willing to decree that you're going to do that regardless of how you feel, change is possible. In fact, change on that score is inevitable. What it all boils down to is this. The core of the whole thing is knowing the difference between the truth and the lie and understanding that the Word of God is the truth. And while God may use and does use, thank God for them, counselors and therapists and pastors and friends and, and, and books and a lot of different ways to bring about change in our life, I believe that they all bear kingdom fruit. They all bring about change. They all bring about transformation only to the degree, only to the degree that they line up intentionally or unintentionally with the Word of God. Think for a second on what we mean by the Word of God. We talked about, a little bit about this last week. When we say the Word of God, we say the Word of the Creator. We've got to see this, you guys. When we're talking about the Word of God that created the world, the Word of God that's found through Scripture, we're talking about something incredibly unique. The Word of the Creator is the Word that defines what is real. God says it, and it is. You see this? It is the word behind all of being. And so we saw last week that the, word, that the world and everything in the world, the entire creation was made by the word of God. God says, let there be light, and there's light. God says, let there be the earth, and there's earth. God says, let there be reptiles, and there's reptiles. God says, let there be people, and there's people. God speaks things into existence. It's the word of the creator, and that's what creates reality. The word of God defines what is real. And everything that comes against the Word of God defines what is not real. The Word of God we saw last week also sustains reality. Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 talks about how everything is held into existence by the Word of God. If God stopped speaking my life, I would immediately disappear. God's Word holds me in existence. God's Word holds you in existence. God's Word holds the farthest molecule in the farthest galaxy into existence right this very moment. The Word of God creates reality. The Word of God sustains reality. The Word of God also transforms reality. 
We saw that last week as well. The reason why you and I, if you're a believer and you're growing and walking with God, the reason that's the case is not because we're so good at trying hard to be that. The reason why we're that way is because God says, let there be light and there is light. God does a ditto on creation in the soul of Greg Boyd and Greg Boyd's a new creation. Let there be light. Let there be holiness. Let there be joy. Let there be peace. And God's word creates reality. The Bible says also that the word of God will always accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish. Nothing builds the kingdom of God but the word of God. The word of God, which comes forth from the king, is what creates the territory of the king, and that's what is the kingdom of God. In our life and in the world and in society, it's the word of God that brings that into being. Change comes about as we say yes to the word of God. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. You are whole to the degree that your life is in line with what God says is true about you, and you are not whole to the degree that your life is not in line with what the Word of God says about you. It's like this on a physical level. My body, if my body is doing what it was, what it was created to do, I'm healthy. I feel good. I don't have any problems. It's, it's, things are operating great. There's harmony there. There's synchronicity there. There's well-being there because my body is the way my body was supposed to be. But if a virus gets in there that was never supposed to get there, I'm no longer what I was supposed to be and my body suffers. If there's a laceration on my arm that was never supposed to be there, then my body suffers. I'm now sick. When I'm in line with how I was created to be, I'm healthy. Things are going well. When I'm not in line, I'm literally diseased. The word means dis-at ease. It's the bone that's not set right. Something's out of kilter. Something's out of whack. Something's not in alignment. And we suffer when we are not congruous with the way that we were created to be. What we've got to see here, folks, is this. God's word says what is to be. God's word defines reality. And in the end, and I don't mean to be simplistic, but this is... This is the truth. In the end, things are whole to the degree that they are in line with God's word. They are sick to the degree that they're out of line with God's word. Things are holy to the degree that they are in line with God's word. They are sinful to the degree that they are out of line with God's word. Things are real to the degree that they are in line with God's word. And they're not real to the degree that they're out of line with God's word. The major problem with the unbeliever is they just don't realize the truth. They're living in illusion. They're living in unreality. They're acting like Jesus Christ isn't Lord. But in fact, he is Lord. They're living out of sync with the truth. They're hitting their heads against the wall. The Lord says to Paul in in, in Acts chapter 9 when he converts Paul, Paul, how long are you going to kick against the pricks? I don't even know what that means, but that's the King James Version. Kick against the goad. I don't even know what that means. But but go against the grain. Try to swim upstream. Beat your head against the wall. That's the paraphrase. Because you see, what is real is, is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You can agree with that and really get blessed. You can disagree with that and really get cursed. But the decision is yours. God has made us, the way he speaks us into being is this. We have the power to accept or reject reality. You can live your own little Lordship illusion. You can go your own way. You cannot deal with your issues. You can pretend like you're Lord of your own life. You can pretend like you're not morally accountable to any creator. You can pretend like there's no one greater than yourself that holds a right over your life. You can do that, and God gives you the right to do that. But you are creating an illusion. You are creating an unreality. And reality has a way of catching up to you. In the end, I believe that all all in our life that is not what God would have it to be. The sin problems, the attitudes, the negativity, the depression, the struggles, the the things that are there, are there in one way or another because there's some kind of discontinuity between 
You and reality, between you and the Word of God. And that doesn't mean that you blame yourself for any problems you have, because some of this stuff is done to us. But it does mean this. Change will happen. Change will happen when we, take, when we get our thinking and our heartbeat and our emotions and our attitudes and our memories and every thought that we have to line up with the Word of God. We say yes to what is real. We are what God created us to be with all the joy and all the blessing and all the transformation and all the power that goes with this. God lives his life through us when we say yes unconditionally to God. That's what's real. That's, God is God. God is the Lord. When we say yes to that, when we just acknowledge reality, now we open ourselves up to the point where he can do something through us. But when we say no to that, in whatever capacity, we, 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 we're living in illusion, we're sick, we're diseased, and things are not in line. This is why, you guys, I believe the word of God is so vitally crucial to our life. This is a book like no other book. This is, the, this, this is the collection of writings that God has chosen to let his word of God confront us with. The power of all creation, the power of transformation, the power to sustain all of being is found right here in this word. God defines what is real. The scary thing, the scary thing, the scary thing is that a person can choose to go into unreality and God lets them do that. And they get to the point, C.S. Lewis said this, he says in the end, the whole job of life is learning how to like what God says you're supposed to like. Um, it's, you know, because in the end, he wins. <laughs> in the end, he wins. So say yes to it. Learn how to like what God likes, to be invested in what God's invested in, and to shun what he's not invested in. Get your life to line up with reality. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the Word of God. This is a sword. This is a sword of, um, of the Spirit. See, the Spirit uses this as a, as a sword. Doesn't do any good if a spirit's not using it, if it's sitting there on the shelf. But when we use it, it becomes a sword. Here's why it's a sword because it's true. It's a sword because it's true, because the enemy fights us by giving us non truth. In the end, the battle between God and Satan and the battle and the warfare that we're a part of is, in the end, a battle between truth and lie. It comes down to that. The devil's been a liar from the beginning. Look at Genesis chapter 3. How did we get in this mess in the first place? It happened when the enemy in Genesis chapter 3 said to Eve, Has God said? Did God say that? Was that his word? Are you going to believe that? And so it has been throughout history that the serpent works against us to bring about ungodly behavior and attitude and stuff in our life and ultimately wants to destroy us by getting us to question the Word of God, to undermine the credibility of the Word of God, to get us to, to deny the power of the Word of God. And if he can't do any of that, he at least wants to get the believers to ignore the Word of God because if the sword is on the ground and not in your hand, you never use it. But it ultimately comes down to this. Who are you going to believe? What are you going to believe? In the core of your being, with the core of your soul, what are you going to trust? What are you going to say yes to? And you got to know this, that the enemy, the Bible says, is like a, a roaring lion who roams the world seeking whom, may, whom, whom he may devour. And the way he devours, he doesn't have any real teeth, but what he's got is false teeth. He's got a bunch of lies. And so he lies to you. He lies to you through the boob tube. He lies to you through the media. He lies to you through magazines. He lies through memories. He lies through friends that you have. He lies through experiences that you go through. And every lie is a tag. It's a fortress in your brain that says, has God really said that? 
You're not going to believe that now, are you? Because if that's what you believe, though your soul may be saved, you're not going to exhibit that in your life. The transforming power of the let there be light that God speaks into my heart isn't going to be there. God says let there be light. But if I go around my whole life saying, no, there is darkness, the light doesn't shine. So we need the word of God to saturate our minds, our brains, our being. Okay, let's talk about reading the word of God. This is going to get very, very, very practical. That was pretty, that was pretty philosophical. We're talking ontology here. We're talking metaphysical uh, reality here. We're talking about the concreteness of metaphysical occasions as the actual occasions deal with the superjective nature of God. <laughs> you didn't know that. But see, sometimes you've got to move out of the milk and get into the meat and chew a little bit. And in the end, you know, I hope you didn't shut me out there because you think, oh, he's using big words like you know, ontology or reality or whatever. But see, there is nothing but nothing but nothing but nothing but nothing. Say nothing. Nothing, nothing more practical than the truth of God's word. We've got to deal with truth. Here, here's, here's reading the word of God. I hope this thing, Lord, help this thing work. Ah. Uh, this, is, this is really class here. Uh, these are our professional overheads with my professional smudge marks. So it, it gets worse. I, I, I made the mistake, the, the mistake of, of sweating on this uh, last hour, so you'll see a little bit of anointing. <laughs> Boy, this is an anointed overhead. Remember, sweating is anointing. Never mind. Okay, three ways you can read the Word of God. Number one, you can read it for information. You can read it for information. This is important. If you don't know what is true, you can't. If you don't have true information, nothing else is going to happen. If you're operating from a false set of data, a false set of assumptions, you're going to always be drawing the wrong conclusions. You read the Bible just for information. This is just reading the Bible like you read any other book. Pick up a chapter, read it. Pick up two chapters, read it. Start plowing through. Learn about the history of God's dealing with the world. Learn about Israel. Learn about the covenant. Learn about the Levitical priesthood. Learn about all that stuff. It's good information. It's necessary information. You've got to have right information about who God is, about who you are, and about what the world's about. This is the truth. You've really got to have that because you're being bombarded with false information all the time. This is just reading the Bible. Just pick it up and start reading it. You don't have to even understand it all. The cool thing about the Bible is it has power even when we don't understand it. It has power. It's working. Even when, when, when we don't think it's working, it's working. Get it for information. You need that cerebral content. But there's a second way of, of reading the Bible. As most of you know, as I know all too well, it's possible to have information without transformation. Amen? You can know a whole lot about God and not know God. You can know a whole lot about Jesus and not know Jesus. You can know a whole lot about God's dealing with history and never let God deal with your life. Sometimes I believe that what we need is not more just reading of the Bible, though you need that. You need correct information, but you've got to know this. Information tells you the way to go, but it does not get you to go there. You can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make a drink kind of thing. Well, this is, this is I can't, how do I play this analogy? This is leading us to water, but it won't get us to drink it. Pull that rabbit out of my hat. Okay. Secondly, here's the second way to read the Bible. You read it meditatively. You read the Bible as an act of meditation. Um, repeatedly, the Bible talks about uh, the need to meditate on the Word of God. David says, I meditate on your law day and night. To meditate, the word, the, the, the root of the word is the word that they use for a cow chewing its cud. You know, it, it chews it and swallows it and barfs it up again. It chews it and swallows it and barfs it up again. It's the same, well, I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's the truth. Um, and that's what you're supposed to do with the Word of God. 
Try reading the Bible sometime where you just you, you read a little bit and then you stop and you chew on that. And, and, and let, it sa- let it gestate, let it saturate. And then maybe chew on it again. Try reading a line and emphasizing different words in that line. And, and, and see how the Spirit uses that to highlight different things to you. Okay? Here, the Word of God is starting to go from there, from, from something that's simply cerebral to something that is existential, something that is in your heart. It deals with your existence. One thing I learned from St. Ignatius, a, a great theologian, founder of the Jesuits in the 17th century, was this. He said, when you read the Bible, enter into the text. And enter into the text with all five senses. It's what's called cataphatic prayer. Enter into the text with all five senses. For example, and, I, and I, I've, I've done this, try this, and you'll see that the Word of God begins to come alive for you. When I'm reading a narrative of the Bible, become one of the characters in the narrative. Really become that in your mind. Try to see it. Try to hear it. Try to feel it. Even try to smell it. St. Ignatius says, enter into the text with all five senses. Let the Word of God saturate your imagination and, 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 and open up the reality of the text for you. You're reading the prodigal son. Become the prodigal son. You go to your father. What does your father look like? What do you say to your father? How does he respond when you say you want your inheritance? How does he look when you're walking away from him? How, what do you feel like as you're spending this money, wasting it away? And then what does it look like when you end up in the, in the pig farm? And then you go back to the father. Do you, do you see the trees? Do you see the wind blowing? Do you feel it on your ground? Make it real. Run a panoramic movie of the text. Enter into it. Make it 3D. You have the power to do that. The Holy Spirit will use it. Enter into the text. And you'll see that things come alive to us as we're singing Lamb of God. You know, if you just enter into that and you picture the Lamb of God, I always get this picture when we sing that song that I saw at a retreat I was at one time of Jesus holding this little lamb. And man, I, I just start bawling because it just moves me. I enter into it. It, be, it becomes concrete. It becomes real to me. That's meditating on the Word of God. All right? The Word of God comes alive that way. Just picture it. Run a movie. Finally, and this is the, the, the thing I want to talk about the rest of, of this morning. There's saturation. Reading the Word of God as an act of saturation. Here's what I mean by that. It's good to take the Word of God, take one part of it that that God says is real, but that you in your life don't reflect as real. Take that reality and shove it into your brain over and over and over and over and over again. Here are the principles behind this. It's, it's kind of like it's kind of like radiation on cancer. You see, the problem is, is that we're saved. Uh, and that's not the problem. That's a good part of it. The problem is that even though we are saved, we've got some cancerous things that we've inherited from the world around us. The pattern of the world around us. And the way to fight that cancer is not by trying hard, just on, on that alone. You got to be tra- transformed on the inside. So you take the word of God and you zero it in. You zero it in on that cancer, and you saturate that cancer with that radiation. You evaporate it with truth. You fight error. The way you fight darkness is by turning on the light. You locate a a point of darkness in your heart and turn on the light and saturate it with with, with the light. So Paul says this in Romans 12, 2. Here's some powerful verses. Powerful verses here. Paul says, "Be, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be no longer conformed, he says, to the pattern of this world. But be transformed. By trying hard? No. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the cow chewing on its cud in your mind. 
Chew it, swallow it, digest it, barf it. Chew it, swallow it, digest it, barf it. Bring it in and bring it out. Make the Word of God a part of your breathing. Be no longer conformed to the pattern of this world. There's a pattern of this world, you see. The world that's under the lordship of Satan. The world that's full of lies. It's out there. It's, it, try, it is trying to saturate our brain with lies. And so what we need to do, Paul says, is don't be conformed to that. You've got a decision you've got to make. What are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the assumptions that flow into your brain from Melrose Place, or are you going to believe the Word of God? Are you going to believe what you see on the billboards? Are you going to believe what you read in the newspaper, or are you going to believe the Word of God? This is so crucial here. Get this. Most people don't consider what they think. They just think. They let their brains go. But the Bible tells us what to think. Philippians 4.8, for example, one verse. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are true, think on those things. The Bible tells us what to think about. Do you ever have somebody who's so controlling in your life, you say something like, what are you trying to tell me what to think? Don't even have my own thoughts? Well, it's bad when people try to tell you what to think. But God made you, and he has the right to tell you what to think. And so he's telling us what to think. But he's not doing like, I'll tell you what to think. Don't even think for yourself. I'll tell you what to think. But rather he's saying, you guys, I'll tell you what to think. If you want to be transformed, I'll tell you what to think. If you want to know what's real, I'll tell you what to think. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are beautiful, whatsoever things are in the Word of God, I don't think I can talk any faster than that. (laughs) Think on those things. Take those things, make them a part of your mind, make them a part of your apparatus. It doesn't do any good if 99% of the time you're thinking about garbage and then 1% of the time on Sunday morning or something you're thinking about truth. What's going to transform you? There's a principle of human nature that says, as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. Proverbs 23, 7. As you think in your heart, so are you. That's going to work for better or for worse. If Melrose Place is on your heart, what are you going to be like? If the Word of God is on your heart, day and night, what are you going to be like? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be conformed to the pattern of the Word. Don't be conformed to the flesh, to the fall, to the lies, to the deception, to the garbage out there. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind as it fixates upon the Word of God. And as the mind turns towards the Word of God, the Word of God is the Word of the Creator, and the Word of Creator creates reality. Here's another verse. Four. I'm picking out a thermos for you. Never mind. Remember that? Never mind. Um, This is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through sweaty 24. Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 22 through 24, which says this. Put off the old self and put on the new by the renewing of your mind. Put off the old self. Here's the thing. Here's a decision you got to make. Now, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I know that. I, I've been created in Christ Jesus. I, I'm a kingdom of God child. But here's the thing. Am I going to wear that? It's like with the armor of the warfare. Am I going to wear that or not? There's an enemy out there who will try to get me not to wear that. This is called the old self. It's the old Greg Boyd, the Greg Boyd who used to think that Jesus Christ wasn't Lord. The Greg Boyd that didn't have a clue as to what was real, didn't know there was a God, didn't know that I had to give a moral account of my life, didn't think I was subject to anybody else. It was the Greg Boyd who was under a bunch of delusion. That's the old Greg Boyd. And there's a lot of thoughts and a lot of assumptions and a lot of presuppositions that that guy had. And then I get saved and I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus and and there's a new reality. But you know what? 
I still sometimes think like the old Greg Boyd. And so the reality of who I am doesn't get a chance to shine. And the enemy's always there trying to make sure that I don't put off the old and, and put on the new. But Paul tells us how to put off the old and put on the new. Get your mind to line up with the Word of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Saturate. This is a computer chip that God gave you. You are a spirit being that's got a major computer chip which helps you to interface with the world. But it's your computer chip. But it's only your computer chip. If you take charge of it, you decide you're going to program it. You say what goes on in the brain. You don't let Melrose Place say what goes on in the brain. You see what I'm saying here? Most people just go along and they say, Whatever, whoever wants to comp- program my computer chip, go ahead. But it's your computer chip. And what the Lord is saying is this. I made you a spirit being to have charge over what goes on in your mind. Here's what's supposed to go on in your mind. Put off that old self. Get rid of those attitudes, those assumptions, those beliefs, and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think. Get your mind and your thinking to line up with the truth of God's Word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. I want to read this one. This one's good. The other ones were good too, but this one's readable good. Listen to this. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. These commandments that I give you. I'm starting to feel anointed here. (laughs) Starting to pour down. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Don't just put them in your head. Yeah, you need, you need information. Good. Information, you got it. But let them be also on your hearts. Boom, 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 boom. You live them, you think them, you breathe them. Okay, you know what the next verse is now. Okay. Impress them on your children. Doesn't mean shove them down your children's throat, but it does mean impress them. Live in such a way that they're impressed by this. Whoa, check that out. Talk about them when you sit at home. See, back then they didn't have Melrose Place. Why am I so against Melrose Place? I guess I watched it a couple weeks ago and I was like, ah! <laughs> they didn't have the kind of competition we do. But when you're sitting at home, talk about it. Make it a part of your life. Make it a part of the air that you breathe. And when you, and when you go along the road, when you're walking, talk about the commandments of God. Talk about the Word of God. Talk about what's real. And when you lie down and when you get up, when you go to bed at night, think about the Word of God. When you get up, Think about the Word of God. When you go to the bathroom, think about the Word of God. When you're brushing your teeth, think about the Word of God. When you're driving to work, think about the Word of God. When you're, when you're, when you're washing the dishes, washing the floor, folding the laundry, taking whatever, he's saying here, surround yourself with the Word of God. We're surrounded by a lot of other words. The enemy's saying, has God said? Huh? You know how to really have a good time? Check out this billboard selling this liquor with this lady half-dressed. That's life. Has God said that that's not life? Huh? Okay, so you got all the lies around you. We've got to... Sur- we're up against some pretty tough competition here, folks, man. The, it's all over the place. Sometimes I wish I lived in Arabia or someplace where the women had to wear veils over their, 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 their noses so we wouldn't have naked bull, billboard pictures. And I'm not blaming my problems on a billboard. And they probably lust after other things like noses or something. I don't know. Maybe it's not it. <laughs> Check out that lady's eyebrow, you know. But uh, we live in a pornographic culture. A greed culture, a narcissistic culture, and the message is all around us. What the Lord is saying is live in a word culture. Create a subculture of your own. Impress it on your brain. And then he says this. What's my page? Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Remember to do this. Here's the thing, you guys. This is what I always struggle with. I'll do this for a couple days, and it creates the reality that I'm talking about. All right? And I love it. And I think, man, why, how can I ever forget this? And then I forget it. You forget it. 
He's saying, remember this, remember this. Don't forget it. Put reminders on. Put, put it on your refrigerator. Do, do all the stuff to remember to, to, be, be, to be about the Word of God in our life. Try this sometime. You're driving to work. There's a person at work that, that you just can't stand. They drive you nuts. They just really ruin your day. You got someone like that in your life. Maybe it's not at work. Maybe it's some other place. But see, in Christ Jesus, you're a person that's full of love. The love of Jesus Christ flows through you. That's what's real about you. Your own well is very dry, but God's well for love, of love for this person is very full. So you begin to say that. Get your life to line up with, with, with the Word of God. In Christ, I am filled with the love of God for John. I, 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 the love of God for John flows through me right here, right now. In Christ, I'm full of the love of Jesus Christ for John. And watch it create reality. You know what? You're going to sense it. You'll, the reality is there. I just love Sue. I, you know, I know, I'm not telling you to pretend. This isn't about pretending. The reality is that in Jesus Christ, you love Sue. You have the potential to love Sue, so you just turn your mind towards it. And he says this, write them on your door frames and on your houses and on your gates. Write them on your door frames and on your houses and on your gates. Everywhere, put the word of God. Here's a testimony. I, I just found this out uh, on Thursday. Got a word from Tim Mock. Tim Mock's building this house for the uh, Poshels. He's bought this, this house and they're, they're, they're you know, re- revamping the whole thing. So Tim suggested that he did this at his house. Um, he, uh, I, on, the, on the studs that are there before you frame it, he writes, he writes verses. The Word of God. As he's building a house, he just surrounds it with the Word of God. See, Christians are so silly. Um, so you write the Word of God. You surround the Word of God. Now, you don't see it, but you just write it because it's true. And it's kind of a spiritual thing of, of, of surrounding your house with truth. There's a guy who is not a believer who, who does this sheetrocking. He came to do the sheetrocking for this house, and he sees all these weird verses all over the house. And the Lord said, my word will not come back to me void. He won't let that happen. My word, oh, I don't care if you bury it behind some, some, some sheetrock, it's going to do what it's supposed to do. This guy began to read these verses, and he couldn't get it out of, out of his mind. And so two days later, he talked to Tim Mock, and he becomes a believer, and now he's a saved person. Amen. The Word of God is powerful. How do you evangelize? How do you reach people? It's the Word of God. When the Word of God gets in there, if a person has a heart that's open to it, it begins to produce what it's supposed to do. But the point of all this is to saturate your mind with the Word of God. That's how change comes. You've got to change the computer chip before anything else changes. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5, through 5, Paul says this, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual to the tearing down of strongholds, whereby we bring every thought captive unto Jesus Christ, and we come against every... The, the word there is knowledge and pretense, or knowledge and imagination. Everything you believe and everything that you see in your brain that is against the Word of God, we come against it on the basis of truth, and we bring every thought captive to Jesus Christ. Powerful thing. Here's why it's called the sword, you guys. It's a sword because it's true, and it has a great way of cutting up error if we let it. And we sometimes try to cut up error outside of us, and we've got to do that. But what we also have to realize is that if we're going to be kingdom people, this word has got to create the reality of that in our life. We need to take the word of God, this great surgical sword, and, and, and sometimes dissect the strongholds in our mind, taking them into subjection to what is true. It's possible to be saved and yet have the enemy have strongholds, fortresses of lies and deceit about who you are operating there. And so though in one way you believe the truth, yet you don't live it, you don't exemplify it, and you wonder why, it's because there's fortresses there. Come against it on the basis of the Word of God. Let me give you one example of this in closing. 
This was on the sheet, the warfare sheet that we gave last week, and I never got a chance to get to it. If you didn't pick that up, it's got a whole section there that, that deals with your identity in Christ on the basis of the Word of God. Here's what God says about you if you're a believer. I'll run through this very quickly. Know this. When it says that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, in, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, this is very important. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. The word for word there is the word rhema. It's not the word logos. Here's the difference. The word logos means a general word. The word rhema means a specific word. The word of God is a sword, not when it's sort of generally there sitting on your shelf. Oh, I believe the word of God. That's wonderful, but that's not going to cut up the enemy. What you need is a particular word for a particular battle. What battle are you facing? Take a particular word and let the Spirit use it to dice up the enemy in your life. So, sometimes, though you're a believer, you feel yicky. Do you, ever, you know, the enemy, he tries to get us to believe lies about our guilt. He, he reminds you of things that you did 10 years ago that you can't possibly change now, and that's already been forgiven. But he says, oh, let's bring this one up again. You see, he does that all the time. Makes me really mad. You've got to know that in Christ you're justified. In Christ you're freed from condemnation. If this is an issue that you wrestle with, you just can't get the abortion out of your mind. You just can't get the thing out of your mind. You, you believe in one level that Jesus Christ forgave you and all that, but the enemy keeps bringing it up. You need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, that in Christ you are justified. Are you going to believe that or not? In Christ you're freed from condemnation. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Sometimes I go through the day and I just don't feel at home anywhere. I feel kind of out of place. I feel alienated. I feel, believe it or not, I feel weird, you know. And in Christ Jesus, I'm united with Christ Jesus. The Word of God says so. I'm a member of His body. The Word of God says so. The Word of God is holy. The Word of God says that I'm holy. The Word of God says I've been perfected forever. This is, this is crucial here. This is not the thing to say to make yourself feel good about living unholy. Like, well, God sees me as being holy. God is, God is never into pretending. This is not, let's pretend like this was true. This is true. The time to do rhema attack on the enemy with regard to your holiness is when you're under temptation. And the purpose is so that you don't feel less guilty when you fall into temptation. The purpose is so that you have power to withstand the temptation because the Bible says, this is the word of God in Romans chapter 6, you are dead to sin. It doesn't have any power over you. It has no authority over you. In Christ Jesus, you are holy. Not just that God sees you as holy, but you really are holy. The question is, will you agree to that or not? This is there to get you to live out the reality of what God's called you to be as a kingdom person against the temptation of the enemy. So also you've been perfected forever. That is an empowering thing that helps you withstand temptation. Some people, some people have, have been abused by a teaching like this because it's been used as a way of trying to pretend. It's been used to say things like this. Well, confess that you're healed even though you're sick. Confess that you're wealthy even though you're poor. There's two problems with that. Number one, it's unbiblical. Number two, you're asking people to pretend. And the Word of God never does that. What's the belt? The belt is the belt of truth. The Word of God is to be hung in the belt. Truth is about openness. Truth is about reality. God never tells us to lie, but what He does say is agree to what is real. He's not pretending you're holy. You really are holy. So it is. When you feel like you've got nothing going for you, the enemy tells you you've got nothing going for you. 
This is the time to say when you go down at, at night, when you rise up in the morning, when you're brushing your teeth and driving to work and doing the laundry, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.3 says so. You are loved eternally in Jesus Christ. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Don't let the enemy tell you that, uh, that, that you're not loved. You are beautiful in Christ Jesus. You're the bride, the song of songs. You're his beautiful bride. Get that old self lie that you're ugly out of there. I don't care if you only have one eye and don't have any teeth. The Lord sees you as beautiful, as adorable, as gorgeous. And don't follow the lie about what, what is beautiful based on what's on the billboards. What is beautiful is what God defines as beautiful because God's word defines reality. Amen? You better believe it. God delights over you. He rejoices over you. You're filled with God's peace. Amen? When you're struggling with anxiety, you can't just try hard not to be anxious. Oh, I have peace because I'm supposed to confess peace. No! But the truth is that he's given you his peace. He's given you his joy. That's got to become a part of your inner psyche, a part of the core of your being, and then it becomes a part of your outer reality. It's true whether you feel it or not. The question is, will you get your mind to line up with truth? So it is, you are complete in Christ Jesus. God's given to you not a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind. You've been bathed with wisdom. You've been bathed with understanding. You are predestined to look like Jesus Christ. 1 John 3 says that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. That's a predestined thing. Don't let the enemy say you don't have a future. In Christ Jesus, you can do all things, the Bible says in Philippians 4. You are a priest of the Most High God. Do not let the enemy ever disqualify you from ministry because the Word of God says you're a priest. Why? Because you do such good things? No. But because the Word of God creates reality and God says you're a priest. Let him create reality. It's about getting your mind to line up with the Word of God. This is not, this is not trying to create reality by thinking positive thoughts. What's his name on Saturday Night Live? I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and by golly, people like me. This is just getting to recognize reality. Here's my final closing. <laughs> if you go out into the forest with a person who's a specialist on bird song, to you it's just a forest, and birds are just birds, and there's some noise, and it's just a forest. But then the birdsong person, they're, they're called ornithologists or something like that, says, do you hear that? Uh, give me a bird. An argle? A, a cardinal. Oh. <laughs> what a beautiful argle. <laughs> do you hear that cardinal? Do cardinals sing? Okay. Do you hear that cardinal? And at first you go, no, no I don't hear it. Because you're not trained to hear it. He says, well, listen very carefully. The cardinal. And there's a blue jay. And there's a, a, a chickadee. And there's a, a fleming. And there's a... I don't, plenty, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but okay. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the forest turns into a, a wonderful symphony of beautiful birds singing. You're recognizing that didn't create the bird. But you didn't know the bird was there until someone drew your attention to it. And now the forest is a different kind of a forest. It all depends on your frame of reference. Are you going to recognize the reality of the symphony of birds or not? So also, most of us aren't trained to hear birdsong, but when we, when, we, when we discover it, it's beautiful. So also, we are systematically conditioned not to recognize the reality of God's word. We're not trying to create anything here, we're just trying to recognize it, trying to say yes to it. And what the Spirit of God is doing is saying, well, you notice this, consider this. Consider it in the morning, consider it when you go to bed, consider it throughout the day. Sa saturate your brain with truth and push out the error that is there. This morning, if there's a fortress in your mind that you need to have taken down, know that the altar, is the front of this auditorium, we call it an altar. Uh, it's open for you. If you want to come forward and get prayer. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, 
I want to lovingly and kindly warn you that you are living out of sync with reality. It's really real that Jesus Christ is Lord. The only question is, will you recognize that or not? If you don't recognize it, you are diseased, you are out of sync with reality, and that will have eternal negative consequences. If you want to say yes to the Lord, if you have a heart for that, recognize the king for being the king that he is, come forward this morning and just pray with somebody and accept him into your life, and he'll start setting up his territory, and he'll start doing his thing as you submit to him. Don't leave without doing that. Father, I thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is sharper than two-edged sword. We are birthed by your word, the word of truth. I thank you, Lord God, that the reality is that the word that spoke creation into being is the word that is inside every one of us right now. And I pray, God, that as we go out of here, we can understand who we are in you. And Lord, I want to, on behalf of this entire congregation, give you permission to be a, a spiritual nag in our life to constantly remind us to do this. God, will you just nag us to do this? Because I know, Lord, that five minutes from now, I'm going to forget. So, Lord God, just be a nag. Be a gentle, loving reminder in our life, Lord God, to surround our mind and our heart and our souls with the Word of God, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. As kingdom people, we go forth out of this place in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go do the kingdom, you guys. Let's do it. Amen.